For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? There's so much to celebrate if we only take the time to do so. Today is National S'mores Day, so that's always worth celebrating. It's also been a nice to your pooch day. Uh, I also want to celebrate Charles Kirsch and Backstage Babble. Uh, Charles reached out to me because he's going to be doing a very special event that's going to be taking place at 54 Below on September 6th. I have my tickets and I will be there. And he has a smorgasbord of entertainers who have been on his show and they will be celebrating some of their iconic roles and celebrating the best of musical theater right there at 54 Below. And I do believe there are just a few tickets available. So hopefully you'll get your tickets uh, after you see tonight's show. But he reached out to me to ask me if I would be interested in having Brad Oscar on the show. And there he is, right there. Yes, you are, Brad. <laughs> I was like sleeping. I wasn't sleeping. I was listening to you. I was taking yeah, it all, all I have to do is mention your name and there you are. So first of all, Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, nice and you. I have very big shoes to fill because I'm following in the footsteps of Charles Kirsch, <laughs> who I know you've already been on his show. Uh, what an amazing kid he is. Let's start there. He is. Well, you know, I just love that he is fascinated by, loves the um you know old musical at this point we said what old musical older musical theater or the classic musical theater if you will you know from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s i mean the history of musical theater he embraces that all the way through to the contemporary stuff i mean he's a total theater kid but his knowledge his historical knowledge is is so vast he's so inquisitive that way and then for him to have this podcast where he is talking to so many people who were part of names that a lot of people won't even necessarily know, right? But who were part of the the, the backbone of this industry on you know on both sides of of the footlights. So, um, uh, and you know, let's face it, any kid who has a passion for musical theater, I, you know, I see the, the the ghost of Christmas past, if you will, because you know I loved it so much as a kid and and embraced it so. And um, so yeah, so uh, so yes, so he had this idea i guess to try to put together a show at 54 below where i believe the conceit is that the uh, the performers are going to be doing numbers that they originated in broadway shows um so yes so i will be there uh, uh doing uh yeah a number that i did in the producers as as franz um yes with some you know i mean only with like len cario of all you know who is you know a god to those of us who you know, like musical theater and know the best musical that was ever written, you know, anyway. So, um, yeah, so it should be a wonderful evening and how great that he's gotten all these extraordinary people together. Um, uh, yeah, to celebrate. I can't wait to be there. I, I had Charles yeah. on the uh, show uh, shortly after uh, COVID began when I first heard about him and I wanted to have him on the show to hear his story because just this love of theater that started uh, at such an early age for him, yeah. uh, 
with my shows, I always ask everyone to go back to their five-year-old selves uh, and where it all began for them. And where did it begin for you? Uh, did you grow up in a household where you I, were- Exactly. I did. I did. Because fortunately, my, my wonderful parents. Now, Brad just froze for. Friends, uh, uh, love live theater, musical theaters. Am I good? Uh, Am you I here? froze you for a me, moment. Richard? So the last thing we heard you say, your wonderful parents, and then you froze. My wonderful parents. Okay. Okay. We're back. We should be good. Yes. Yes. We live, we die by the computer. That's right. Um, my parents uh, uh, loved live theater, musical theater, did some community theater, uh, and uh, were uh, born and raised in Washington, D.C., a place where there was certainly ample opportunity to see live theater and especially pre-Broadway live, you know. So um, anyway, and cast recordings, you know, which is always, of course, where it begins in the home as far as that goes. So yes, cast recordings were, uh, uh, yes, were played in the household. And what I consider to be sort of fortunate is, is that my earliest recollections are sort of you know, Mame and and that Golden Age and Dolly and stuff, but then hearing Promises, Promises, and then hearing Company, and you know, in the years, and I'm like five five years, Promises, Promises. I think I'm five years old. Mm-hmm. Company, I'm maybe seven, six or seven. So anyway, these sounds, these you know, and my understanding of how you could tell a story with music and lyrics, um, yeah, was ingrained in that respect. So I had an early love of it, and then my folks started taking me to see live theater. And, uh, and as I always say, when we talk about this, again, being, uh, growing up in DC, there was a, uh, you know, the, the big stars would take out their old original musicals on that summer circuit. And so, so literally I saw, and these are the summer of like 70, 72, 73, I saw Gwen Verdon and Ray Walston do damn Yankees. I saw Angela Lansbury do Mame. I saw they would take out their shows for the summer and do that circuit, you know, usually in the round Westbury music fair, you know, here and there. So anyway, you know, again, I, I, I loved it. I soaked it all up. And then we started coming to New York city to see shows. My folks would come, my folks saw the original follies, but I was too young, but then we started coming to New York and then I started, you know, and I fell in love and it was fantasy land. And, you know, here I am right in Midtown Manhattan as we speak. So Now, you you mentioned that your parents did community theater as well. Yeah. So the first time that you went to the theater, did you see your parents on stage or did you see a professional production? Um, uh, uh, well, the first time was probably more like community theater with my folks. Yes, exactly. Because yes, they did. They did some some uh, community theater where they were doing you know plays, but then they also were part of, of this place called Adventure Theater outside of D.C. in Glen Echo, Maryland, which anyone who grew up in that area will know about, which is a very famous, reputable children's theater that has been there for, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm nearing close to 60 and I know it was there 10 years before I was born. So anyway, uh, they also were uh, did some stuff at Adventure Theater. And that was my first live stage experience when I was like also very young, you know, six, seven years old, probably, you know, just in the ensemble, if you will, because they would have kids and stuff like that. But anyway, so, you know, so in that respect, yeah, I, I, you know, I came by it very honestly. I was bitten because I had this, you know, enormous exposure to it and took to it right away. Yeah. There's a, a an interesting moment in a person's life when that light bulb goes off and you go, this is truly what I want to do with my life. Do you recall when that moment was for you? Um, 
I sort of do because it was a it was um and it's it's something I remember I I figure we only remember so much about our childhood. I only have so many vivid sort of snapshots. Some of them move a little in my head, so they're animated, but I have various random, that's how I, anyway, what I have left of, you know, moments in my childhood. So we saw the original production of Raisin try out at Arena Stage in DC. And I think this is 1972, mm -hmm. 73, maybe. So I am, again, I'm maybe seven or eight years old, eight years old. There was a boy in the show, Ralph Carter, who uh, uh, got a lot of, uh, got a Tony nomination. It was immediately plucked from Raisin to star in Good Times, the series. Right, that's He's right. the son, the youngest son in Good Times. So he was in Raisin, uh, uh, a, a show that to this day, I think is is, is a gorgeous score, phenomenal. Show. Underrated, underrated show. So underrated, such a beautiful telling. I mean, how hard is it to think a play like that? An enormous, beautiful play. And, and musicalize it. And I think it succeeds in so many places. And I'm shocked it's not uh, done or embraced more. So if I ever come into a ton of money, I'm producing a revival of Raisin. So I see Ralph Carter. My folks were great about getting us backstage or at least to meet or stay for autographs, you know, which of course, to, you know, I always waited at the stage door. But we got to go back and meet Angela Lansbury and meet anyway, Ralph Carter. So I meet him. I see this kid, obviously, who is my very similar age, doing what I've already got sort of this passion for. It's been instilled in me. And I remember like a night or two later, I think literally I was in the bathtub taking a bath and like just getting so emotional and so upset. This, uh, this enormous desire, the love, the idea that it could be real in that way for me, perhaps, because I did feel whatever that synergy was, whatever mm -hmm. that. So, so I remember that moment. I remember feeling, again, overwhelmed by a feeling I probably didn't even understand at the time, but, but, but was motivated by this, this passion and this, this understanding, this connective, you know, which is all we really do anyway, all performers, we, you know, there's an exchange of energy. Um, and boy, that, you know, it hit me like a lightning bolt. Well, I, I envy you that you had parents that had that desire for it because I grew up in a small town in South Carolina. My parents were as far removed from theater uh, as they could possibly be. Right. Uh, and when I said that I was going to go to New York to be in this business, uh, it was as if I was speaking in tongues. Uh, they did not understand it. And my mom still doesn't understand it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, even watching this show, she doesn't understand any of this. Uh, but I, uh, you were also fortunate enough that your parents brought you to New York. You're seeing yeah. Broadway shows. Um, when you did tell your parents that this was the path that you want to go on, were they enthusiastic about your desire to go into this business? I mean, they were. They were mostly, yeah. I mean, they were, no, they were entirely supportive. I mean, both financially and, uh, and emotionally. And, right. you know, by the time I was making the choice as to where I was going to, you know, my, my, my uh, place of higher education, um, uh, it, I had... I had done enough at the time. Uh, I, I was, yes. I mean, I was taking it very seriously. It was apparent that I had a certain amount of ability. Um, I had already been to New York and gotten a call back for Merrily We Roll Along in that original, that fabulous movie, that, that big cattle call. You know, my dad drove me up. And so, you know, anyway, all I'm saying is, uh, yes, uh, uh, they were totally 
supportive in that way. And, and, uh, and I ended up actually not going to a musical theater school per se. I went to Boston University right. uh, and we really didn't do musicals there. Uh, but I wanted to get, you know, as far as the acting training goes, I had done so much musical theater. I was taking voice lessons regularly, uh, a little dance on the side, just a little. Did you um, did you apply for at various colleges? Oh yeah. Oh oh, I didn't get in. Believe me, I did not get into Carnegie Mellon, which was the musical theater program at the time, if I recall. As far as you know, I didn't get into Carnegie Mellon. I did get into NYU, but I thought, you know what? I want to spend the rest of my life in New York City. God willing, I love it so much, and and so I don't need to go to school there. It might be better to not go to school in New York. So, um, but no, I did not get accepted. Oh God, of course I didn't get accepted to Juilliard. I think I even auditioned for Juilliard twice. Once the next year when I was at BU just for, you know, shits and giggles, but, um, but no, no, no. Um, so yeah. So I spent four years in Boston at Boston university. Yeah. And how long after graduating from Boston university, did you make the move to New York? Like after this, I went home to DC for the summer and, and I moved to the city uh, the following September in a year called 1986. Well, I came to New York in 79, so. Ooh, you got me, okay. It was a very different world when I came to New York. It was it starting was. to clean up yeah. a lot yeah. by the time you got yeah. here. So when you made the move to New York, did you have friends who lived in New York? Where did you first live when you got here? I, I did, I, I I had some friends. I had a, a dear friend of the family who, I'm, who I was able to stay with for a while when I got here until I was able to find an apartment. So uh, so when I moved to the city, I was staying on 84th and Central Park, which didn't suck. Um, no, no. A couple weeks later, I got a job at a restaurant that we always used to go to when we would come to the city called Charlie's on West 45th Street, which was between Barrymore's and, and, and Puglio's, the Italian restaurant. It's all just torn to the ground now. There's nothing there on 45th. Um, anyway, but Charlie's looked exactly like Joe Allen, but flipped and, um, uh, was a great place to work. And we got paper to everything because it was an industry place. So we would get and paper, meaning complimentary tickets to shows that we're trying out. So I got to see so much theater, um, found an apartment a couple months later, my little studio on restaurant row. I was on 46th street between eighth and ninth for a long time in a, in a studio that, <laughs> Was, well, at the you know, same time everything. that you were living there, I was living on 47th Street. We probably passed each other a million time. times. <laughs> a million times. I was yeah. there for like almost 18 years. Wow. You know, and I'm still in Midtown West, but yeah, but I had that studio, which, you know, was Fred, fine. When you first made the move to New York, did you know uh, the ropes in terms of how to go about getting the auditions? Of course, everyone gets backstage and they start right. doing uh, Did you know what to do or how did you learn the ropes of how to get your foot in the water, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, you know, you sort of knew the basics as to where the audition notices were going to be. And then it was a question of certainly for stage work, union or non-union, because, because you know, of course, when I moved to the city, I was not a member of, of equity. So you can't go to the union calls, to the open calls, the chorus calls or whatever. Um, but sometimes they would see non-equity or there was a non-equity call as well. And so what happened for me was because I had joined AFTRA when I was, I think I was 12 uh, in DC, I did some TV work. I was like a kid reporter on a local news show, 
with Sue Simmons, who later went on to become uh-huh. like the newscat right here in Manhattan. God bless her. Well, yes, yes. So yeah, Sue Simmons left DC to come here and then the rest is history. So uh, so I was on this show, but anyway, so I joined AFTRA. So I was a member of AFTRA. And at the time, uh, well, now I think also you can join, anybody can join equity, but at the time, because I was a member of one of the sister unions, I was able to buy into equity. And after like a year or two in the city, not even, I think I said, I, I said to myself, if I buy into equity, at least I will be able to go to these open calls. At least I will have more exposure and get to be seen for professional productions that I would like to be a part of. And indeed, a couple years later, it was through an open call, a chorus call, that I got my first Broadway show. Aspects of Love. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so I want to back up for a moment. There's, for me, those years when you are, you've got your eye on the prize of getting that first big break and everything, the hunger years, as I refer to them, there's something magical about that time. The friends that you are uh, building, the relationships, all of that. Describe what that time was like for you, uh, being in New York, uh, being a part of the business and getting acclimated. Did you do a lot of summer stock? Did you do... Uh, showcases what was happening before you got that first big yeah you know it's funny uh uh, it was a combination of finally being here after low those many years growing up going to school knowing that this is what i yes committing to this is what i want to do being very aware that i was a character actor and thus as a younger character actor that's always a tricky place to be um, defining yourself, finding yourself, at least for me, it was. So I knew that the big picture was something I needed to look at. And I had been told that by teachers and I had been told that by the response from the league auditions, because there was the big league of professional theater training schools. And for one weekend, every spring, all these schools, it was at Juilliard, Juilliard and NYU and Carnegie Mellon and Michigan and all the theater schools, SMU, they would all come to New York and present this showcase for agents and casting directors. And it was such a head trip because, you know, some of your classmates would get, a, you know, the younger, prettier would get all the soap off. You know, people wanted to see them or whatever. And it was such a trip. And I got very little response from those league auditions. Um, so anyway, my point was I wasn't in a hurry. Of course, I wanted to work. I wanted to do stuff. But I also wanted to like, OK, I'm here. I got a job. I can't believe I can go see a Broadway show any night I want if I'm off or I can afford it or whatever. That was amazing to me, right, to be here. Um, And yes, other friends that had moved to the city from from BU, other friends that were here already. It was lovely to sort of embrace that life. And yes, it was, you know, a good time in that way and rather certainly rather carefree the older we get. And as we look back on those years of our lives, I did a couple, you know, readings and little things like that. Um, but um, no, nothing real. I, I literally spent, I'd say about, yeah, a good two years-ish. Um, yeah, waiting tables. And yeah. And then... Your dues. Hmm? You paid your dues. I paid my dues. Believe me, it didn't... Su- I mean, it was a great place to wait tables. I met so many people, people that I would later actually work with professionally, mm-hmm. I got to see so many shows. Um, so yeah, but so having if if you got away tables, the 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 fringe benefits that came from working at Charlie's 
were, you know, were fantastic. Um, and, uh, and yeah, then I did my first equity job, uh, a, a director that I knew that was a, a BU director was directing a production of Tom Foolery, the Tom Lair review, uh, up in Worcester, Massachusetts. So I made my equity professional theater debut on stage at the Worcester Foothills Theater, which sadly no longer exists, but yes. And um, yeah, and then a couple months later, the open call for Aspects of Love. And that started uh, at the very beginning of, of 1990, actually. And thus begins my professional New York stage career, which, you know, I sit here and talk to you and I still can't believe I can, you know, it's just, you know, well, it, 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 I dreamt of. So it's career. You, when you went into Aspects of Love, you went in as a swing originally and swings and understudies have been very much in the news, uh, especially during COVID exactly. uh, and for a lot of reasons. Uh, so uh, kudos and a uh, huge applause to everyone out there who, it's the it's, toughest thing in the world. It is uh, the you know, hardest right? thing in the world. Exactly. They are the backbone of of the the company when it, the acting, ding, singing, dancing company. They are often what keeps exactly the body of the show. They are, yeah, yeah, yes. So, can you take us to that first time that you got the call that you're going on that night and what that experience was like for you? Well, it was it was so random because uh, uh, so in aspects of love, first of all, it's not a big ensemble show at all. Let's get that straight, mm -hmm. right? Okay, which was which was just fine. And it was God. They spent so much money. It was the first show after Phantom, you know, and it was Lloyd Webber and it was Trevor Nunn and it was, you know, a lot. Um, so I covered the character men in the ensemble, and dear Wiley Kid, if he's listening covered the men who tended to move more shall we say so we go into previews and you know and i want to get the history right because but obviously wiley was incapacitated i think perhaps his back or i don't know so let's say his back well one of the guys that wiley would normally cover is going to be out this is like maybe two weeks into previews so i was you know, not very prepared as far as it wasn't a track that I had looked at and, you know, gotten ready to, to, to cover. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, I remember, yes, uh, a lot of people helping me very quickly. I remember having to wear a costume in a circus number that was very skin tight and did not look good on me at all. This is how I made my Broadway debut. I remember uh, 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 certainly missing one of my solo lines you know there was a lot of recitative and so there were you know in group scenes or whatever and my god um but i also remember that everybody carried me along and i got through it and uh i remember coming backstage afterwards and you go backstage and i remember trevor nunn who would get on the god mic every night after the show usually in previews just to say you know, good show, whatever. And, you know, dear company. And, you know, I want to congratulate Brad Oscar tonight. And, it was, you know, and it was just so, you know, I, I distinctly remember that. And then I remember actually heading right over to Charlie's because, the, you know, the restaurant was still there. And a lot of my friends who I had worked with months before, of course, were, were, were working or were there. And it was a great place to be able to celebrate that night. Some friends came over and, you know, and boom, I had made my Broadway debut. It was, uh, yeah, it happened. 
Were you able to enjoy that night and really be in the moment of it? Or did you feel like you were being shot out of a camera? <laughs> well, I mean, um, I, I remember, I remember enjoying it when it was over. I remember it be, I mean, I certainly remember the stress of, of um, not feeling, well, not feeling prepared. But I mean, nine times out of 10, that's what a swing, you know, goes through. You haven't had rehearsal and especially in previews because, you know, they're just rehearsing the people who were doing it eight times a week to get it right. So, so yeah, I definitely, uh, yes. I, I mean, it was a, it was a stressful go, but I do remember that again, everything went well. It was just that one night going on for that track. And um, yeah. And I had, you know, and I had made my Broadway debut Bing, boom. I didn't expect, you know, I knew I had a couple dates maybe after opening, you know, my folks were going to come, we had it all set up or whatever, but, um, but yeah. Yeah. And how soon, uh, you know, after your career starts to take off, do you get an agent and the manager and the team, they begin to. A team. Your... I, yeah. I don't have a team. You I don't have, have a team. Well, you know, I worked for a while uh, uh, without, an agent per se. I, I sort of, I freelanced a bit, but you know, aspects of love, as I said, I got aspects from the open call. So that was a year on Broadway, ran for a year, believe it without or not. Without an agent. Yeah. Without an agent. No, because I just went to the open call. So no, had no agent, you know, negotiated the contract by mm -hmm. myself, but there was no negotiation. Basically it was minimum. It was what it was. I was like, you're going to pay me what? I mean, my God, I was thrilled. <laughs> so, um, so then that led to, the Aspects of Love tour, which was a whole other production and a whole other bunch of Michigas, started up in Canada and was produced by, well, perhaps you've heard of him lately, Garth Drabinsky. So Garth, so, so, but we're not going to talk about Garth. We're going to talk about the fact that I still didn't have an agent. And that was another sort of year of work dovetails into a friend saying, I'm leaving Forbidden Broadway here in the city. I'm leaving Aspects of Love on the road. He says, you and I audition. I go into Forbidden Broadway, which turns into like two years of work. So it wasn't until, I guess, I don't even remember when. I, all I know is for, Forbidden Broadway leads to Jekyll and Hyde, and I'm doing Jekyll and Hyde on Broadway and a, a, a Rob Evan in the show recommends me to agents that he's working with. They know of me. They take me on, you know, sort of like, well, okay, you know, I've done, you know, I've done two Broadway shows. I've done Forbidden Broadway, but whatever. But they, and, and that's when I then officially had an agent as far as when future negotiations came up and when things started happening, you know? So like when the producers happened, when that, because that was then coming down the road, needless to say, I would have needed or wanted or hopefully had, you know, an agent to, to negotiate something like that. But up to that point, I, I you know, I worked without giving anybody else 10%. <laughs> well, I want to talk a, a little bit about Forbidden Broadway. That's the first time I saw you on stage. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. And uh, doing all these, I mean, talk about being shot out of a cannon. I mean, the costume changes and everything. I mean, it's like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Um, what kind of training prepared you for doing that show? Well, uh, well, first of all, a, a true love of musical theater, right? A true love of the art that we were spoofing, okay? To understand, because you 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 want to embrace and, you know, 
as we know, satire is even more elevated than just normal comedy in that way. So you want it to be based on some sort of truth. So I think if you understand or embrace or love, you know, musical theater, you're halfway there. Um, and then just the stamina. No, I mean, my God, I had never done anything that difficult uh, uh, up to that point because it's you never stop. You never stop. And it's on and off with the, the, the wigs and the costumes and the, the top stick for the men because there's all the facial hair. And so there's that sticky, you know, and you're dealing with that. And, um, but it was a ton of fun. I mean, it was um, because I did several versions and we would try out material. And, and sometimes it was the stories are better when the material would bomb. You know, we have some great, like, can you believe we actually did that for two nights live on stage? Um, <laughs> yeah. Stories. Um, so, um, so yeah, I loved the challenge. I loved the people I got to play with, you know, still some good friends to this day. Um, and yeah, you know, what an industry that was, what a, you know, what a thing, what a, uh, it was, yeah, it was nice to be a part of it because certainly I had seen it soon after, I guess it, you know, in 83, 84 ish, I guess. So anyway, um, yes. I enjoyed it very much. Now, there are two particular shows that I do want to talk about because everybody will kill me if I don't. Uh, and the first, of course, uh, is the producers. And uh, how did you first hear about this? And how did the uh, how did it come about that you ended up getting the audition and getting into the show? Well, um, so so I'm doing Jekyll and Hyde on Broadway, which believe it or not, everyone ran for four years on Broadway, the original production of Jekyll and Hyde, starring the great Robert Cuccioli, Linda yeah. Edwards, John Knoll. So Jekyll runs for four years. Jekyll was very generous to several of us who had been there from the beginning. So I was able to go and do some other gigs for a couple months, I mean, like two months maybe, and come back, which was great. A lot of Broadway shows, you leave, you leave. So I was going for the second year in a row in October to go play Santa Claus for the radio, the radio city Christmas spectacular, which was done outside of New York in many cities uh, a while ago. And no longer is the case. Uh, I had done it in Los Angeles in 99 and here we are in 2000 and I'm going to go to Branson, Missouri and play Santa Claus because you can't resist. Come on. And they, the pay didn't suck. Trust me from being in the ensemble of Jekyll, they were, you know, it was nice. So, so I go to Branson and I'm in Branson and my agent calls. Now, mind you, it's already, uh, this is, they're starting rehearsal. I mean, I didn't know this, but the producers are starting rehearsals like the second week of December, third week of December, right before Christmas. I'm in Branson. My agent calls. They're looking for a standby for Nathan Lane for the role of Max Bialystok and the producers. Just a standby for the role for Nathan. Do you want to come in? I'm like, yeah, I yes, right. I have to go in. Of course, I have to fly from. It's going to be the 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 best thousand dollars I ever spend, or it's just going to have to be a tax write off. So I fly in from Branson. Uh, they want me to read Max and Franz Liebkin because I mean, come on, why not? Right? You'll get you, you, at least have me covered too. Okay, so I prepare the scenes. Uh, I sing my own song. Um, I do the audition. Really, there was nothing, uh, you know, in talking about it, we celebrated the 20th anniversary last year and I, Mel was not at my audition. 
I have gone over this a million times in my head because Mel was present for everyone's audition. You had to tell a joke. I didn't have to tell a joke. It was all this, but Mel was not there. But Stro and the rest of the team were there. I get back on the airplane the next day to fly back to Branson. Literally, my flip phone rings before the plane takes off. I got the job. We have to get me out of my contract in Branson. Wouldn't you know, Radio City, Madison Square Garden, same umbrella. Stroh's doing Christmas Carol at the Garden, Radio City. I need your Santa. She gets me. The next thing I know, the next thing I know, I'm being hired as a swing. Yet again, because I'm covering Max, I'm covering Franz, I'm covering Roger Debris, and I'm also covering the character men in the ensemble, which in a Susan Stroman show doesn't mean you're not dancing. Everybody's dancing. So it was initially overwhelming, the amount of material that I was trying to to digest uh, during those initial um, weeks was overwhelming. Um, but the story takes such a weird turn because I often say I, I would not have been a very good swing on the, I mean, maybe I would have gotten there, but let me tell you, you know, I'm not a dancer per se. I can learn stuff when I get it in my body, but there was a lot of stuff and those are pictures and you need to be on your mark and you need to know what the hell you're doing. And so anyway, I, it was very daunting. So anyway, but we get to Chicago and the actor playing Franz has to have some surgery on his knee in order to be ready to open New York. Um, but I'm Franz. All of a sudden, I'm there. And of everything I was covering, Franz was the most manageable. Great, great scene, you know, introductory scene in Act One, the two songs, end of Act One, great number in Act Two, come back a couple, I mean, it was just gold. And I had a couple days before we even had an audience in Chicago to tech and get used to and work with everyone. So by the time we got in front of an audience, you know, I wasn't shot out of a cannon. It wasn't like aspects of love at all. And you know, one thing led to another and, and I got the gig and I opened the show on Broadway as Franz. And so, you know, it's still telling the story, which, you know, I've told many times, um, because yeah, it was uh, that very random, and, you know, it's that quote. I don't know the exact quote, of course. But, you know, when opportunity presents itself, you know, you just want to be ready. Um, and I felt and, 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 and all the self-doubt and all the fear and all the anxiety of that moment, uh, of those moments when I first took over for Franz, you know, um, existed. But I, I also remember, again, trusting that part of myself that loved this so much and loved it. So, and having the opportunity, you know, to play with these people and trust myself. And bring myself to the table. That's when I started to also understand that, I guess. You know, the more responsibility you have, the more uh, you come face to face with. Uh, sorry, speaking for myself. Um, your convictions, your the boldness of your choices and the and the commitment to that without judging, without because everybody's got a different idea. And, you know, so I was also then guided by some of the most, you know, brilliant and talented people. Oh, you can see that. You know, right? So it's like, you know, it was such a master class and it was a master class in rehearsal. I mean, I remember sitting in rehearsal watching these 
you know, these scenes coming to life with Nathan and Matthew and the late, great Gary Beach. Oh, my God, you know, I miss him. Yeah. So, you know, it was um, it was such a, a unique experience to be a part of in any way. And then to have it play out the way it did for me, you know, which then turned after a year of Franz, it turned into like five years of Max here and on tour and in London and in Vegas. Come on. What more can a girl ask for? <laughs> what more could you ask for? And I saw you with the Leroy Reams do it. So, uh, yeah, oh. it just, yes. Oh. And again, getting to work with, you know, yes, getting to work with Leroy, getting to work with Leroy and getting to work with people who were just, you know, people who brought their own inspired comic zaniness to that piece. And, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a joy. So where were you when you got the call that you had been nominated for a Tony Award? No, I was in my, I was on my pullout sofa on 46th on Restaurant Row watching New York One live. So yeah, because remember it used to be, you know, New York One would, at least then, by, by at that point, by that point, New York One would broadcast them live. They were usually That's about right. eight in the morning. You know, Roma Tori was there to bring us and whoever announced. I don't remember who announced. I should remember, right? Um, so yeah, so Did I was you there. Fall and, off your bed? Did you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, no, it's an no. actor's dream. And then, and I also have and and Nostradamus. And Nostradamus. Oh, phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal! Yeah. One of the funniest shows that mm -hmm. I have ever seen. Uh, you know, something rotten. It was a, another absolute joy and an unexpected joy as far as who knew what this thing was, you know, that it would be what it was. And um, yeah, and I'm telling you, you know, I did my time at, at that St. James Theater with the producers. I, my God, audiences embraced that show. That show brought down that house. But there were nights at Rotten. I am telling you, I was like, I never thought I'd hear those sounds again. And and because something wrong was unexpected. The producers, you came in, you had Susan Stroman, you had Mel Brooks, then you had Nathan, and you had Matthew, and you had, you know, so many, and all the design. I mean, everybody at the top of their game. So you expected you were going to see a pretty damn good show, probably. And then, of course, it, it became what it became. Something rotten. First of all, who would name a show something rotten? <laughs> who are these guys who are writing it? You know, yes, we know. Okay, there's some Broadway vets. We love Brian Darcy James and Christian, but is this really going to be any good? And um, and it and and it was because it was smart and it was funny. And Casey Nicola did an outstanding job of uh, you know as 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 dramaturg in many ways of, of getting that show in shape in a relatively short amount of time. We didn't even do the out of town tryout we were supposed to do, um, and I don't think that really hurt. I mean, I think the show was, you know. Pretty much very well constructed. And and uh, so, yes, that was, um, yeah, also a really good ride. And I want to ask about the last two years for you uh, when everything shut down for everyone. Uh, what was happening for you when everything shut down when as what? we went through this incredible uh, no. roller coaster ride, and it seems yeah. like, it, and it's not over. I mean, it's we're still going over. through this. Yeah. Um, I was listening to an interview with Jane Lynch the other day, and she was talking about this idea, you know, it, and it's sad that 
Broadway stars cannot meet their fans after a show anymore. Yeah. She said, all it takes is for me to infect one person in the company sure. and that person's out of the show for 10 days. Right. And right. then that person infects someone and it's, right. and it's just a nightmare, you know, yeah. in the theater now with what everyone is dealing with. Uh, yeah. What was happening when yeah. everything shut down for you? Well, I was, I mean, literally the day everything shut down that, that Thursday, March, whatever the date is, 2020, yeah, I was at the Sondheim Theater because we were in, Mrs. Doubtfire had done three previews and we were in rehearsal during the day because when you're in previews, you're rehearsing during the day, making changes. Um, Mind you, you know, we knew the days before leading up to it, you know, it escalated very quickly, but the minute... Um, the minute I got an alert on my phone Wednesday night that the NBA was suspending their season, you know, I turned to my dressing roommate, dear friend, and soon to be ex- Broadway star extraordinaire, Jay Harrison G, uh, who's, you know, doing some like it hot. Um, and I said, Jay, how can we possibly go on? We can't, it, this is irresponsible now to gather. You know, we know this now. We know this is an issue. So, how are we going to, you know, and they'd already told us don't see anyone at the stage door and we were, you know, starting to masks and everything. So, yeah. But anyway, we were at the theater on Thursday rehearsing. Word came down that the league was meeting. All the, you know, higher ups were meeting to discuss what was happening. And then, yeah. And then there was an announcement made at the, you know, there's going to be, you know, full company meeting in 15 minutes in the house. Everybody, all departments. You know, and we knew, I mean, you know, again, I think the rumors already were like, you know, we're probably shutting down. Of course, we all laughed that initially we were shutting down for four weeks until Easter. Yes. So hippity hoppity, that didn't happen. Um, so, yeah, that's where I was. And then, like many of us spent, certainly many of us in the entertainment industry, you know, spent the next, uh, gosh, I mean, look, at least we had the commitment from Kevin McCollum that Doubtfire was going to come back after, you know, when we could. And we did. And we tried. Um, uh, So I knew I had a gig at least coming out of this, hopefully, which was lovely, but uh, just not when. And then, you know, and then we, we, we did get back on our feet and we reopened, we, we opened officially in December and then Omicron hit and it just, you know, wiped out our audience and Kevin was able to put us on a hiatus and, you know, we came back in April. Uh, so anyway, but that's its own story. But, um, but yeah, the fact is, yes, it's been a, of course, it's been a difficult time. Uh, I am one of many in many professions who have suffered, you know, the loss of their, their livelihood, their income um, d- during that time. And now just trying to look for work uh, at a time when, yeah, live theater is still, you know, little by little making its way back. Certainly here in the city, you know, as far as tourism goes and foreign tourists and all that stuff. I mean, you know, numbers are looking okay as far as grosses, you know, for most shows, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but no, I still feel it is a very tricky time. And it's exhausting for uh, for those doing it because you're doing two things at once. You're doing what you normally do eight times a week. And then you're testing and worrying about that. And there's an underlying stress, as you just mentioned, you know, about, gee, if I get it or whatever, if I 
you know, or I go to this party or I go out to dinner. I mean, you know, you're always taking calculated risk and it can cost you, you know, I mean, as it happens, our union, we have coverage. If you miss shows for COVID, you don't get docked. You get a certain amount, maybe depending on your salary, you know, certainly you are covered in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you don't want to, and also many actors, you know, you've got a gig that's uh, for a couple of nights or you have a gig that's only a couple of weeks or whatever. So, you know, it can really cut into and, you know, so yeah, it's, uh, it's something that we'll, you know, continue to deal with. And I assume hopefully is going to morph in some way, in some way for the better. And, you know, we'll just soldier on. Well, we have to. We have well, to. Brad, with every show, I do a giveaway, and I am going to give a, uh, do a giveaway tonight. And I pick a word of the day, and the word that I chose today uh, was diversity. And diversity is something that is now being discussed in the theater. Uh, and there's been a lot of changes, especially in the last couple of years, because of so much that's going on in the news. And I'd like you to talk for a moment about the changes that you've seen uh, in the theater, uh, especially over the last few years, when it comes to diversity in the theater? I think that, look, what I think we, oh, anyone who loves and appreciates live theater loves it because of the storytelling that we do, right? It's all about the stories that we tell, right? And we all have so many stories to tell, and we want to invite everyone to the table, but it, which is very easy to say, right? And I feel like when we're in a room, I feel like as a whole, uh, in my profession, with most of the actors that I work with of many different races and ethnicities, that we are mostly on each other's side. We want to embrace who you are and what you bring to the table because we all know how individual we are and that's what we're there for in that way, right? So, but for many years, many people are not, we're not, or, you know, and so now I hope a, the awareness of that. I hope, I know firsthand uh, with several projects I've either been involved with lately um, or, or, or a benefit I'm putting together that things are being talked about in different ways and in ways that they just haven't been before. And so that's terrific because we, as the soldiers in this, have to do all that we can. At the end of the day, we also know we need diversity in the producers, the, the, the director, the writers, the, the people who, the creators in that way, certainly the producers is, oh, as we know, it's always about the money, right? It's always about having the opportunity to get your project done. And that's going to cost some money somewhere. So, you know, um, certainly regionally, regional theater has also, I hope, you know, embraced this in a way. So there's, you know, but, um, but uh, I, I, yes, I, I, I feel like I'm trying to stay aware of it. I'm trying to uh, to understand, and again, things that you know. I'm a middle aged white man, and I'm a very and you know I'm a very liberal, but I don't have all the answers. Nor is my just saying I accept and I embrace the end of it. You know what I mean? I have work that I can do, and I also have ways that I can you know. Uh, uh, participate or whatever. And, and uh, you know, but that's, again, that's sort of a day in day out thing too, I think about how Absolutely. you treat, you know, how you treat people, how you go through your life and how you, you include or don't include how you judge or don't judge how you make assumptions or, you know, there's a lot that, you know, I'm trying, I, I, I try to reprogram or just sort of re-understand in a way. 
Thank you for saying all of that. Um, now I've got some wind down questions just for fun. And the first one I haven't even looked at before I ask. So it, uh, God only knows what I'm gonna ask you. Okay, uh, and the question is, would you rather be gossiped about or never talked about at all? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, you know, no publicity is bad publicity. So yes, sure, gossip, gossip, gossip. Gossip away, everybody. Sure. Um, and the next one is, is this take a moment to get clear on the future you're saying yes to with your actions. So what are some of the actions that you're taking now for your future in this business? That's interesting. I haven't really thought about that. What actions am I taking now? Well, um, gee, other than sort of living life, which of course is a way of, right? Hopefully expanding, reading, television, uh, in those ways that we absorb material. Um, but yeah, it's so interesting. As a performer, right? I go from job to job. So I feel like um, I have my those times when I'm, I'm working and I'm focused and I'm, you know, my, I'm more in touch maybe with my body or my that. And, um, you know, here we are, it's summer in the city. I've been going away. We're going to the beach. It's so it's, it's very interesting. I'm not really, um, I'm sort of settled in a way that I, I don't feel like I'm necessarily moving forward, but I'm certainly enjoying myself. Good for you. Well, that's good. And, uh, the next question is who is someone that you love spending time with, but you haven't seen recently. And I'm going to ask that you reach out to them tonight after tonight's show. Well, I mean, I certainly owe my best friend Robert in L.A. a call. We've been playing phone tag for a while, and and uh, we actually have not seen each other now in in over uh, four years, I think, wow. which is a long time. We we met at Boston University, Lolo's, many years ago. Um, actually, it will be forty years in September. Wow. Um. So yeah, I you know that of course, right away is, 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 you know, is someone that I think of. Um, but, you know, I also spoke, I randomly spoke to a friend that I hadn't spoken to in like 20 years last night, who I did theater with. Back when I was in college, I would come home and do uh, Montgomery College summer dinner theater outside in Rockville, Maryland, outside of DC, um, which again, were like great summers. Because, you know, when you get a bunch of you know, kids together. And when I, in this case, the kids were-, were Wasn't mostly, that the Harlequin Dinner Theater? Harlequin was in Rockville, exactly. That's my right, sister yeah. my sister worked at Harlequin <clears throat> and several friends. <clears throat> I never worked at Harlequin. Um, but this was a, a dinner theater done on a college campus. It was sort of a pro. I actually think I had to like take the class, you know, but basically, you know, we put on, put on two big shows and then you also waited tables and did the whole thing. But uh, anyway, great summers. You know, when you get a group- kids together who just want to put on a show and everyone, you know, and, and many of them were, you know, serious about it too, looking to perhaps have professional careers. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Those were great summers. And so, yes, I talked to a friend that, that I hadn't talked to in like, yeah, like 20 years. Wow. That's yeah. wonderful. It was great. Uh, what is the best thing that you feel that you've done in this profession? I mean, some people look at your career and they go, wow, that's the best thing that you've ever done. But what's something that resonates deep inside your soul that you feel that that was my shining moment? Um, well, honestly, I mean, yeah, because that's not, I mean, yeah, it's not about necessarily the, the show or the role, of, I guess. 
the moments that really resonate with me, again, are the moments when I see, you know, you talk about not being able to connect now to the community after a show or having stage door, you know, connections. Um, and those are some of my most, you know, joyous and special moments. Certain mm. connections that I've made with, um, usually with, with again, with kids that, that I know I was that kid because I was that kid, literally. I waited at the stage door to get Jim Dale's autograph after Barnum. I waited at the stage door at the, you know. So, um, yes, and and uh, so that always, you know, certain certain moments like that. And I think that, again, because it is such a special thing to be able to uh, really connect to to someone it's why it's why you know every night when you go on stage and you're tired and you're pissed and it's been a shitty day you could change a life because there might be one you know so you know many of us say that we're like hey you never know tonight there might be you know or there always is there's someone in that house of god knows so you know it's so important to remember that because i was again i was that kid my life was changed by people who are doing and did what I have the privilege to be able to do. And that responsibility is huge. Um, and um, so, you know, that, and then, the, yes. And then the moments, I guess, when, you know, when you just achieve like liftoff on stage, when again, the exchange of energy with an audience is, is just, it's, you know, there's that gold moment. There's nothing like live theater in that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and those moments feed my soul because, yeah, again, I, that's how I have been moved. That's how I have spent some of my most exciting, thrilling moments, you know, in live theater, you know, watching, you know, iconic things, right. That still live on in my, in the history of my mind. And um, so, so yeah, to share that with an audience and maybe send somebody home with, with, with that feeling to change their life in that way, you know, is, is enormous. And I, you know, and again, I don't take it for granted and believe me, it doesn't always happen. <laughs> um, what will you regret less when you look back over the past 10 years? Oh, I thought it was going to be a multiple choice. <laughs> it might be. All right. So wait, what will I, what, what will I wait? What will you regret less when you look back over the last 10 years? Um, what will I regret less as I look back on the last 10 years? Oh, gee, that's a really tricky question. You know, being a part of the first Wives Club musical? No. <laughs> um, um, oh, gosh. You know, that's interesting because, you know, again, part of this, you know, what I do or life in general. I mean, I guess there are things in, you know, I regret maybe, you know, not finally taking off 20 more pounds constantly, but that's just sort of a given. But, but anyway, I try not to, um, you know, as far as, as far as regret, as far as things that don't happen or things that didn't pan out or, or, you know, it's, you know, I, I, yeah, I try to let a lot of that stuff go because you have no control over it. And, you know, the best advice I've ever gotten, um, you know, money well spent in, in therapy uh, is to stay in the moment, you know, because you can't take care of what already happened. You can't fix that or change it. You can you can 
do things to, you know, of course, and you don't know what's going to happen. So don't scare yourself about what, you know, and it's advice that works terrific in life. It's advice that works great on stage because if you screw up a line and you obsess about it, you're going to screw up the next line. And wow. if you think about what that lyric is coming up, by the way, in, in, in two seconds, you're going to forget it. <laughs> so, you know, I it's crazy. It's crazy. If you stand there and you're singing because you're on not on autopilot, but muscle memory is a great thing. Oh, yeah, there are nights when I'm I'm singing. I know what I'm singing. I'm there. I'm present or whatever. And I'll get a little ahead of myself in my head. And I'll be like, wait, what is it? What is it? And, you know, and there, and there are nights when, thank God, my mouth has kept moving. And I actually said the right words. And I had no idea what I was saying. Wow. You know, but my point is, you know, staying in the moment. So, so, uh, so regrets. I've had a few, but, um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't have a, I don't have a good answer for you. Okay. Uh, what do you like uh, most about yourself? <laughs> oh God. Well, that's also a tricky question, Richard. What do I like most about myself? Um, gosh. Um, I, I like I, I like my sense of humor. I think I have a fairly decent sense of humor. It's been well honed by many great people, starting with my parents, my family, my great. sister. Uh, so yes, I, I I like to think that that's something that uh, that I yes that I like a lot about myself and that comes in handy and has served me well as far as that goes. Okay. Yes. Um, what? Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I think that would be sure. Okay. Yeah. What are your truths? Wow. My truths are um, to uh, in the uh, right now, especially in the world that we're living in, so much divisiveness and so much anger and hate, of which I feel a lot of too, right? And my pa my passion is inflamed as well on my side. Okay. So, so as far as my truth goes, I try to, um, it's also sort of what I feel, what religion sort of is, is, you know, how you, how you treat your fellow man, how you go about your day in that respect. And, um, and I try and not always successfully, but I, I, try because i want that to to be part of like my 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 truth my truth being that i want to uh that that's the only way i feel like i can affect change uh, yes we can be active in other ways but you know what i mean just about how we're going to you know get through and, and i'm blessed to live in a place that embraces you know everyone in that way i i don't feel marginalized i don't feel i can be who i want to be god knows and i hope you know a lot of people feel that as well but so, um, so yeah, I like to try to, you know, and, um, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah thank you. What thank is you. the most disparaging moment that you've encountered in your career and how did you get through it? Can I answer first wives club again? <laughs> God, if anyone's listening. Yes. How did you, uh, what gets you through those moments? Oh, wow. Well, that's just, I mean, you know, we all do things that don't pan out and that you, right. you drink the Kool-Aid and you want it to, you know, it, it's hard. God, it's hard. No one comes together to create something that doesn't coalesce or doesn't work. You know what I mean? I mean, I've had, believe me, heartbreaks, that big fish, doubt fire, 
these are shows that I, you know, still in many ways believe in. And Big Fish is a wonderful example of a show that indeed does live on because we did record and people do the show. It's done. And I love that. And I love when I hear, you know, when I come out of a stage door and people are like, oh, yeah, we did Big Fish at my high school or we did it in community theater or wherever it might be. Um, but, yeah, look, it's heartbreak. You you. You, you drink, as I say, you drink the Kool-Aid. And by that, I mean, we all know what we want it to be or the story we're trying to tell. Um, and you know the moments in the rehearsal room when it's, you know, it's gold. And then things change sometimes when you get on stage. Things change sometimes as, as pieces move forward, uh, as certain people perhaps are recast, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's always... I mean, I guess, wow, you talk about regrets. Well, here's, I mean, I guess, yes, I regret that in certain instances, those shows did not um, play out the way we, we wanted them to for various reasons, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and if there's a through line in your career, what would that through line be? Well, it would start with an overture and then it would have a great act one finale and then we'd have an entreact. And uh, a big finale. And of course, playout music, which is always one of my favorite things, is the playout music. Uh, it would be, geez. I mean, literally, it's sort of that's what it would be, you know, in, it, in so many ways, my life has been so defined by, you know, by musical theater in that way. Um, and I think my, it's, it's kept me, it's, it's uh, because it is such a passion it's kept me alive in so many ways. You know what I mean? It's something, you know, it's a place I can go to for solace. It's a play. It's certainly a work that brings me so much joy. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, yeah, being able to constantly uh, uh, ideally absorb and, 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 and see new stuff and read new stuff and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And just again, the, you know, we stay on a gerbil wheel in this business. You know, many people are are uh, blessed to to be in a position where, you know, they can pick and choose jobs and they and they have a certain amount of financial security and stuff. But most of us, you know, you stay on that gerbil wheel and you you go from job to job. Um, and it's an interesting thing to acknowledge at different points in your life. It's it's like follies. You know, when you see follies, depending on when you see follies, it resonates totally differently. And and it doesn't get easier, you know, talk about a through line. I mean, it's like, it's the, you know, it's, that is part of my journey and what I set out to do. And I have been so blessed and I have been so fortunate and I love what I do. But there are times, yeah, when I say, oh, hi, unemployed 57 year old, you know, now what? Because yeah, now what? But God willing, something is coming up and you know, I've saved some money and I have a, an amazing, extraordinary husband who keeps me living in the style I'm accustomed to. No, <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> God bless him. I mean, you know, he's, yes. worse, you know, so we make it work. But yes. um, I've but, got uh, one last yeah. question for you and you and it's based on something you just said. Um, I mean, do you embrace getting older in this business? And if so, what are your thoughts about in getting older in this business? Um, look, I, yes, I embrace it because A, ain't got no choice. And B, I, um, I'm not afraid to 
again, be myself uh, in any way. That, uh, and, and, I, and, and that comes in handy sometimes, too, when situations need to be addressed and or, you know, I don't mind being the eldest. I, I, I have been now the oldest person in the room, the oldest actor in the room or the oldest member of a company or whatever. And I know myself, I'm not, you know, I'm not an asshole. I'm not going to be irrational. I'm relatively very even tempered. And the last thing I want is confrontation. But there is a certain uh, peace that comes with trusting myself uh, when it comes to whatever it might be, whatever that, you know, and I think that's, uh, yeah, that's something that I'm very happy to have, uh, have a stronger sense of, I guess, you know, just a better sense of self in that way. And I think that only comes with age, you know, it only comes with experience. And, um, and I believe it also makes me a, a better collaborator. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give away a giveaway and don't get away anywhere for a moment. So okay. when, uh, Give uh, you're going to pick what the price is going to be by picking either column A or column B. Well, column B, column B, and I'm going to tell everyone what that's going to be in just a moment. Great. So here we are, and uh, so we'll thank you all for being here tonight. We'll see who our winner is, and uh, thank you, Natasha Lombardi Ooh. again. She won last night too. Oh, so see what happens really? when you show up. So, Natasha, reach out to me after the show tonight, and I will get your prize out to you. Uh, I will tell you later what it is. So uh, don't go anywhere for a moment, Brad. I want to say uh, my closing remarks for tonight, and then I'm going to give you the final word tonight. Um, first of all, everybody, I want to remind you that on September 6th at 54 Below, it's no longer Feinstein's 54 Below, it's 54 Below, uh, yes, go and see uh, Charles Kirch's uh, backstage babble uh, with Brad and so many other incredible artists. I'm going to be in the audience cheering you all on. Uh, Charles is an amazing kid uh, with an old soul right here. And uh, Charles, I know you're watching tonight. Thank you uh, for carrying that torch and for uh, arranging this interview tonight. Uh, Brad, if you've had as much fun as I've had tonight, then I'm happy. So thank you for thank being here. The word that I chose tonight was diversity. And diversity is not just about race and sexuality. It's about finding the diversity in each and every one of us. Um, I believe that we need to celebrate our differences. Um, without getting political, uh, over the past few years, um, <laughs> this country has gotten so divided because people are not celebrating each other's differences. Right. And I think that that's the big problem in this country. We yes. need to celebrate each and every other person and what they bring to the table. Yeah. And when you find the differences in what everyone brings to the table, uh, it's so exciting. I had a few friends over for a Sunday brunch the other day, and they were all meeting each other for the first time. Uh, and it was like Hyacinth Bouquet with one of her candlelight uh, suppers. Everyone said it was so great to meet different people uh, and just like bringing everyone together. It's like casting a great show right. when you bring different people together and you celebrate those differences. And it's something that we need to do each and every day. So make sure that that's your mantra as you leave tonight's show and you carry that through with everything you do. 
Um, I want to thank you all for being here tonight. If this was your first time here, I hope it will not be your last. Uh, my goal, my mission is to celebrate artists and their body of worth. So after tonight's show, please leave a comment on YouTube, even if you've left a comment here tonight. Uh, what that will do is that will raise the ranking of this video. Share this with your friends and please tell others about this. Uh, if you're around tomorrow night, uh, please tune in. Uh, we're going to be celebrating Pat Carroll and her amazing yeah. legacy. And I've got some amazing surprises. Uh, do you remember Cinderella 1965 with Leslie Ann Warren? All I have to say is that she's going to be here tomorrow night. So please tune in. Really? Yes. Wow. Leslie Ann Warren is going to join me tomorrow wow. night. Pat. And some other Locked surprises. The door. Yes, yes. Some other surprises as well. So everyone, please, um, at the end of every show, I always say, go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Uh, go to your Facebook friends list, or in your case, Brad, uh, go to your Instagram list and reach out to the sixth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an e uh, email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, a phone call, and let that person know what they mean to you. Uh, we're all, as my dear friend Sean Moniker says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. And you never know what someone else is going through right now. But I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. So, Brad, I'm going to leave the show, and I'm going to give you the final word. I will see you on the 6th. Uh, anything you want to say right now about anything that we talked about tonight that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message you want to leave everyone with tonight, thank you for the gifts that you've given to the world and that you will continue to give. Oh, Thanks for being here tonight. It's you're very kind. My pleasure. It's been great to be here. And I, yes, I echo everything you've said. Don't be scared. You don't have to understand everything, but embrace. And let's, let's accept each other. And let's, uh, yeah, let's move forward. So thank you. And good night. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.